We'll be in uh, 1 Samuel chapters 21 and 22 tonight. 1 Samuel chapter 21 is where we're going to start out. As you'll recall this morning, we looked in the Gospel of Mark, and it's also recorded in Matthew and in in Luke how uh, Jesus and his disciples were walking through the grain field on the Sabbath, and they plucked a little grain to eat. And Remember, we talked about how the Pharisees had a problem with that. Because they were viewing things through a different perspective or a different lens than the way Jesus was viewing things. Remember we talked about how perspective is the window through which we see the world. The window through which we see life and see different situations. And so tonight we're going to look in uh, a little closer detail at a story that Jesus mentioned there in Mark chapter 2 and in the other uh, synoptic Uh, gospels there about how David ate the holy bread at the tabernacle and how that was okay with God given the situation. And Jesus, he taught us this morning and taught the Pharisees that it's more important to be compassionate than it is to be legalistic. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 21, we're going to examine this event through two different perspectives. Now, there are a lot of people mentioned in the story as we get through the story in these two chapters of 1 Samuel tonight, but we could look at it through the perspectives of a lot of different people. We're going to pick two and look at it through those two perspectives tonight. In 1 Samuel chapter 21, we'll reread some of what we read this morning, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech was afraid when he met David. And said to him, Why are you alone, and no one is with you? So David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has ordered me on some business, and said to me, Do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you, or what I have commanded you. And I have directed my young men to such and such a place. Now therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand, or whatever can be found. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread, if the young men have at least kept themselves from women. Then David answered the priest and said to him, Truly women have been kept from us about three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is, in effect, common, even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. So the priest gave him holy bread, for there was no bread there but the showbread, which had been taken from before the Lord, in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. And David said to Ahimelech, Is there not here on hand a spear or sword? For I brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. So the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is no other except that one here. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much 
for your word and thank you for the truths that we can learn even from these Old Testament stories. And I pray that you would open our eyes to the perspective that you would have us to see tonight. I pray that you would teach us and that you would help us to learn from you in Jesus' name. Amen. So remember, David's on the run. And he's just lied to Ahimelech, the priest, because uh, he's really not on business for the king. As a matter of fact, the king is trying to kill David. And so if you remember, we talked about this morning, David left town so fast that he didn't even have time to gather the proper provisions. He didn't have time to gather food. We mentioned that this morning as we read on a little further down in the story. We find that he didn't have time to gather weapons. He didn't have time to gather anything for self-defense. And, and so you know, he, uh, he had to get some food. Ahimelech let him eat, let him and his men eat the holy bread that had been taken from the golden table there in the holy place. As we talked about this morning, they replaced it every week. And that old bread was consecrated and therefore could only be eaten by the priest. But the priest made an exception, not to a moral law of God, but to a ceremonial law of God and said, you know, because your people are starving, it's right to let you eat this bread. And then there he needed a sword, and there was only one sword kept at the tabernacle, and that was because that sword was special. It was the sword David had used to cut off the head of Goliath. You remember that story, how David was just this little slingshot, and although he had five stones, it only took one. And he hit Goliath with that stone, and it killed him, and he fell. And it says David took Goliath's own sword and cut his head off. So you can imagine, I just see David there. And Ahimelech says, well, you know, we've got Goliath's sword. And David thinks, huh, that'll do. You know, it was good enough to chop off Goliath's head. I think that'll do. No doubt a very big sword, a very nice sword. So he allowed him to take that holy sword because it seemed to be an urgent need for David. So we have to wonder... For just a minute, I stop and think. David's on the run. He's running for his life. Why'd he stop at the tabernacle? Of all places. Do you know this is a practice that continues today? You see, Brother Eric Mishiran's head's nod. When people are in trouble, when people are, have these urgent human needs, where do they stop? They stop at the church. Now, David was lying to the priest. When we were at Fordyce, I'll use these examples because I don't have the examples here because I'm not right here on this premise all the time. You know, uh, the people drifting through don't know where I live, and you don't have to tell them. They can stop here and talk to Brother Eric. <laughs> but I was in the office there because it was a church in town, and I was expected to be in the office, you know, that's how church, towns, town churches expect you to do. And people drop by all the time. People drop by right before church services would start. People drop by in the middle of the week. And they'd tell you this big, long story. You didn't know if it was true or not. As a matter of fact, a lot of times I didn't believe the story. Because, you know, you'd offer them assistance in the form of, didn't give them money, but would offer them, you know, well, you can go down here to this restaurant and we've got a tab you can get you a hamburger and put it on the tab or fill up your car or put it on the tab no they just wanted cash they didn't you know there's a reason 
because they weren't probably in as big of a desperate, if they were desperately hungry, they'd take the cheeseburger, right? So you never know if you can trust somebody, but I think the priest did what only he could do. He had to trust what they said and, you know, the consequences between the person telling the lie and God. We're tasked with helping others, being compassionate to others. That's what, that's what Jesus taught, that we're to, as we talked about this morning, that second greatest commandment, we're to love our neighbor as ourself. We'll leave the details between them and God if they're fibbing, telling us a lie, if they're stretching the truth. But David stopped by the church. He stopped by the tabernacle. Because that's what people do when they're looking for help. That's the kind of people we need to strive to be. The kind of people who other people will seek out when they need help. Have you ever noticed that these, on the, even on the national level, people that bash Christians, when there's a tragedy, the first thing they do is ask us to pray. We need to be the kind of people that others are willing to come to for help. Because they know we're the group most likely to help them, and that's the way it ought to be. So it begs the question, why did David tell a lie? Would the priest have helped him even if he'd told the truth? Probably so. Maybe he was just trying to protect the priest. I don't know, but none of that has to do with the rest of the sermon. It's just some questions I wanted to ask. Some thought-provoking things about this story. And I hope... That will always be, as we are today, I hope will always be the kind of church people can trust to come to in their time of need. But there's no doubt David had been here before. David was a prominent person, of course, and, and he, he knew the priest, and the priest knew who he was. Because as you see there in the beginning of the story, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 21, it says, Now David came to Nob to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech was afraid when he met David, because he knew who David was was and he didn't have his royal entourage with him that he would usually have he is the son-in-law to the king he is the anointed one of God to be the king of Israel God has taken his blessing away from Saul and given it to David the priest knows who David is I feel confident that as David left the tabernacle that day with a full belly and the sword of Goliath in his hand that he probably felt a sigh of relief because in his mind, at least for a little while, he felt like he'd gotten away with the lie he'd told the priest. But as we see, as we will see, that's not for long because turn over to chapter 22. That was the background of what we want to look at tonight. We see in chapter 22 how the story continues. Chapter 22, verse 6, is where this story picks back up. When Saul heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered. Now, discovered, that means they'd been, they'd been seen out and about. Somebody had seen them and reported back to Saul. Saul had spies out looking for them. Now, Saul was staying in uh, Gibeah under a tamarisk tree at, at Ramah with his spear in his hand and all his servants standing about him. Stop right there for just a second and picture Saul. 
Saul's fighting for his life. He's trying to kill David because he says David's trying to kill him because God has removed his blessing from Saul and given it to David. David's going to be the next king, and Saul knows it. Saul thinks if he can kill David, maybe he can stick around. So imagine this scared king. Says he's got his sword. He's got all his servants standing around him. And listen to him berate his servants in verse 7. Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Hear now, you Benjamites. Will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? All of you have conspired against me, and there is no one who reveals to me that my son has made a covenant with the son of Jesse. And there is not one of you who is sorry for me or reveals to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it is this day. So Saul is verbally berating his officers because he's found out that his son Jonathan and and David have, in Saul's opinion, been conspiring against him. And he's certain that there's those within his own ranks. His own servants have been right in the middle of it. That they're running right in there with David and and right in there with Jonathan, conspiring against Saul. And so Saul has taken this moment with his sword in hand to remind them who the king is. To remind them he's the one who can reward them for their work. And that he's the one who can have them all killed. Why else would you wave the sword around as you're reminding them who you are? So enter a guy we met back in chapter seven, I mean verse seven of chapter 21. You know, as you're reading through chapter 21, if you stop at the end of chapter 21, you think verse seven is just kind of there, why is verse seven there? Why do we need to know that a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day in the tabernacle? Detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg the Edomite, the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. That's what we found out in verse 21, I mean, in uh, chapter 21. In chapter 22, we find out why he's mentioned. Because right here, as Saul is verbally berating his officers, he enters the scene again. Verse 9. Then answered Doeg the Edomite, who was set over the servants of Saul, and said, I saw the son of Jesse go to Nob, to Ahimelech the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him, talking about Ahimelech, inquired of the Lord for David. Gave him provisions. Gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Here's where we begin to see a perspective formed. The perspective of Doeg, the Edomite. When faced with adversity, when faced with the possibility that the king might be fixing to cut off my head, when faced with whose side do I choose, Doeg chose self-preservation. Look at the story he gives. He says, I saw David. I saw the son of Jesse. Well, we can check that off. True. He saw him. 
he says he saw David with Ahimelech, the priest. Well, we can check that off. True again. He said, I saw Ahimelech giving provisions. True. He says he gave him the sword of Goliath. Kind of true, but we'll let it slide through as true. Really, he just let him take it, not necessarily just gave it to him. But then he begins to twist the story. Because Doeg tells Saul that Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for David. We don't find that in chapter 21. This makes it sound like the priest is completely on David's side against Saul. You see, it makes it sound like he's giving him food and he's giving him the sword because it's the priest's idea. It's as if David came in and said, Ahimelech, Saul's trying to kill me. you got to help me. You see, that's the picture that Doeg paints for Saul without so many words. Because notice he never told Saul that David lied to Ahimelech. He left that out. He conveniently left that part of the story out. Because that one little piece of information would likely have made Saul see things in a different light than he sees it and may have changed the ending of this story. Because it would have shown Saul that everything the priest did was in large part in service to the king. Because what did David tell the priest? He said, I'm on a job, I'm on a mission for the king. It's urgent. We're hungry. Oh, I left my sword because I'm in such a hurry for the king. With the whole story, Saul might have seen that what the priest did was really, it was compassionate. But it was also in service to the king. But consider Doeg's perspective. It's self-preservation. It's self-promotion. Saul had been threatening his men, so Doeg stepped up to make himself look good. And look at the results of that beginning in verse 11 of chapter 22. So the king sent to call Ahimelech, the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, the priest who were in Nob, and they all came to the king. And Saul said, Hear now, son of Ahitub. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. Then Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse? Saul's very paranoid. Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, and that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him, that he should rise against me to lie in wait as it is this day. So Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who among all your servants is as faithful as David, who is the king's son-in-law? Who goes at your bidding and is honorable in your house? Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Far be it from me. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to any in the house of my father. For your servant knew nothing of all this, little or much. And the king said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. Then the king said to the guards who stood about him, Turn and kill the priest of the Lord, because their hand is also with David, and because they knew when he fled and did not tell it to me. But the servants of the king would not lift their hands to strike the priest of the Lord. And so the king said to Doeg, 
you turn and kill the priest. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck the priest and killed on that day 85 men who wore a linen ephod, who were of the priesthood. Also Nob, the city of the priest, he struck with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and nursing infants, oxen and donkey and sheep with the edge of the sword. So when focused only on self-promotion, when looking through this window of self-promotion, our actions often end up hurting others. That's what happened in this story in a major, major way. In this case, hundreds are slaughtered. Eighty-five right there on site. And then everybody who was in the town, including their animals, which he wasn't even told to do by the king. But just a little bit before this, remember where Doeg had been just a little while before this? He'd been at church. Just before he had this perspective of self-promotion, Doeg had been sitting at the church. Back in chapter 21, verse 7, it tells us he was detained before the Lord. Now, as I read several different uh, Old Testament scholars, as they were talking about this, they said, He was probably detained before the Lord because of the travel restriction on the Sabbath. You remember we talked about that this morning. He's there. He can't travel more than 3,000 feet. He is probably detained there for the period of the Sabbath is what several scholars thought. Most say he was there because he was a Jew. He had converted to Judaism. But there's a few who said, well, maybe he was just there as a spy for the king. But I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say he at least professed to be a Jew. But his actions say he was only in church that day to check a box off a list. He was only there to fulfill a ritual. Because the things taught in the tabernacle obviously didn't leave with him. You see, here's a lesson for us as we look at life through a perspective of self-promotion and of self-protection, self-perseverance. Not only do others get hurt, but we often are just going through life and we come to church to check it off the list. He's like a lot of Christians who go to their respective churches on Sunday just to check it off the list just to get their wife off their back or their husband off their back or their mama off their back or whoever it is off their back, just so they don't get a text from their pastor or their youth pastor or whoever it is that week to say, why weren't you in church this week? They're just there to check something off the list. In contrast to the one who comes to church out of a genuine love for Christ and to be drawn closer to Christ. And I pray that none of us are here tonight. None of us have been here. I pray none of us have been here at all today just to check it off the list. Just to say, I went to church Sunday. Because if that's the only reason we're here, that's just to make us look good. That appears to be the reason why Doeg was at church. Let's look at another perspective. The perspective of David in this story. 
It's changed since the beginning as we continue to read through the story. His perspective in the beginning in chapter 21 as we looked there was seemed to be a perspective just like that of Doeg. Seemed to be one of self-preservation. That he was just trying to save himself as he stopped to ask for help from the priest. But as we read the end of the story, his perspective seems to have changed. Verse 20 of chapter 22 says, Now one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abathar told David that Saul had killed the Lord's priest. So David said to Abathar, I know, I knew that day when Doeg, the Edomite, was there, that he would surely tell Saul. And then David says, I have caused the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me. Do not fear, for he who seeks my life seeks your life. But with me, you shall be safe. David takes responsibility. Tragedy struck. David realizes these are in large part the consequences of his actions. David didn't go to the church that day, to the tabernacle that day, seeking help with a good motive. He went there seeking help out of self-perseverance. Out of, he, he, he went there and told, he had to tell a lie. He felt like he had to tell a lie to get what he needed. But now he sees the consequences of his actions and he takes responsibility. He has, appears to have, a heart of true repentance. And because of this situation, as you move forward reading the story, how this all proceeds further, he seems to move closer in his relationship with God. And that only happens through a heart of repentance. Look what he says in verse 23. Right there at the end, He tells this son of Ahimelech, he says, but you will be safe with me. I think this is David promising in part to physically protect this new high priest. He is now the new high priest because he's the only one standing. But I also think David's remembering something here when he says, but you'll be safe, but, but with me, you'll be safe. I think he's remembering that ultimately, if he follows God, God's going to protect him. I think in this moment, David remembers who he is in God. He's the anointed king of Israel. He's God's chosen man to ultimately be placed on the throne. I think in this moment, David has an aha moment. That if he trusts God, God's going to protect him. So he's saying to this new high priest, you'll be safe with me. Because I remember that God's going to protect me. This is a complete change of perspective from the David that we saw at the beginning of the story when he was lying to the priest in the tabernacle. And so from this story, I hope that we can see that when faced with adversity... We get to choose the perspective through which we see the problem. 
We can choose the self-preservation perspective, which all too often leads to more problems. And, and this situation led to mass destruction. Because that's what happened when David chose to use that at the tabernacle. And that's what happened when Doeg chose to use it before the king. Or we can choose the perspective that David came back around to in the end. We can choose to look through life of the lens that I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust God to protect me. So he tells that high priest, if you stick around with me, since I'm trusting God to protect me, he's going to protect you too. Because that perspective, that one works every time. Is there anything before we close?